Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Jerry and Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor of Politics and Washington Correspondent at The Grio. And I'm your co-host, Shauna Pinnock, Social Media Director for The Grio. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, how are we defining the culture? <laughs> it's a celebration, okay? So... You know, Jaren, we hitting a milestone today. You know, I'm actually pretty proud of us. So I'm going to do, <clears throat> being a Brooklyn native. Listen, it's DCP's 100th episode and we are celebrating. I mean, low key. Okay. High key. All right. I just be talking sometimes. So <laughs> I'm that much more grateful that you all, our dear listeners, tune in and continue to listen to Dear Culture week after week. But for real, y'all, you know, G is literally the yin to my sometimes chaotic yin, whatever. And <laughs> the Grio, in particular, this podcast has been the place where I've been able to be, I call it 100% self-actualized. So thank you, G, my lovely co-host, my brother. And thank you to our listeners for helping us reach this 100th episode milestone. Dear Culture is a love letter to black folks and being a co-author of that love letter is pretty freaking powerful, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Aw, Shauna, don't make me cry. You know, I get pretty emotional. Um, but, but likewise, I would not want to celebrate 100 episodes of Dear Culture with anyone else. You are uh, just amazing. My amazing, fearless co-host who is also a balance to me. You know, it's humbling that our experiences and our reflections really resonate with our listeners. I believe that the topics that we cover and the people that we have on the show mean something. DCP has continued to be a place where we highlight, honor, and amplify Black culture authentically. We try to bring guests on the show that do the same in their work and day-to-day -day lives. Today's guest is no different. Yes. So if your group chat, because mine is, is still debating whether or not Issa should have ended up with Lawrence or Nathan, low-key y'all, if she ended up with Nathan, she wouldn't have furniture. But, you know, or if you found yourself quoting baby voice Darius, turn your volume up. Our guest today is for you. Denise Davis is the founder and CEO of Reform Media Group and started her career producing music videos, shorts, and digital content, including the classic, The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. And, you know, a little show you may have heard of called Insecure. <laughs> While you will also see her name rolling in credits as the producer for HBO's Emmy-nominated A Black Lady Sketch Show, Denise is also making room for up-and-coming media movers and shakers as the co-founder of Color Creative, a management company focused on changing the landscape of media by creating a direct-to-industry pipeline for women and minority writers and championing diverse voices by building creative business brands. Denise, welcome to Dear Culture. We're so happy to have you. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so I'm gonna get us started. And you know, before anything else, I have to at least make sure we have, you know, like one fan favorite question about Insecure while we have you here. Uh, that was to be expected. Now, <laughs> uh, you know, the show was so amazing and so relatable in so many different ways, very triggering in a lot of ways. I distinctly remember Twitter threads and Facebook arguments and <laughs> things of that nature. Uh, but, you know, oftentimes I kind of feel like Damn, like we, we deserved a little bit more. I kind of want to know 
how did how did Kelly and Amal start hating each other? You know what I mean? Like what happens to to Nathan? Like does how does he handle his bipolar disorder? What happened to Aparna after that really awkward birthday dinner? Like is Tasha still at Chase? What's going on? You know, there's a lot. And considering we spent a whole episode talking about you know Molly or not well no Molly's dog poor little Flavor Flav that Issa and Nathan lost. We spent a whole episode with them. So <laughs> for our audience, I'm sure they want to know: Is it possible? Are we getting an insecure spinoff or two or three or you know any (laughs) no (laughs) Um, we uh, have put this beautiful show to rest Um, and it's funny you mentioned all of the loose ends because I think what what makes it so the show special is you know the intent to also not tie everything up in a boat right because I personally think okay well have we given all the answers to everybody's like storylines or backstories or all the things you've been following? Um, to me, I think people might have been left dissatisfied because the beauty of leaving it open is that it allows for interpretation of whatever you think those characters might have done. And it kind of lives in the zeitgeist of that. So that way people can have arguments, they can, you know, think uh, or give their input about what they feel like Kelly might be doing in the background or where, where that tension started. Um, and, you know, by not providing all the answers, it still makes you love these characters enough to want to know it. But I just think, had you like, if you, if you give them everything, no one's ever going to be happy, right? So to me, it's better like putting that up there. But um, but no, the, the short answer is, nah, there, there's, there's no spinoffs. <laughs> Uh, all right, fans, y'all hear that. There's no, and just like that for us, okay? There's none uh, of that happening. <laughs> I'm going to hold out hope just because. Um, <laughs> but, um, but Denise, you're also the co-founder, as we know, as we mentioned at the top of the show, you're the co-founder of Color Creative and Reform Media Group. Uh, you, you founded a Color Creative with Issa Rae. And that's no easy feat. Founding, being a founder in general is like a lot of work. But on the other side of that is finding agency and also um, having influence and inspiring people um, like you're doing with your companies. And I know me and Shauna can relate to this. You also uplift the black culture. And here on Dear Culture, I mean, we work at a black owned media company on a podcast called Dear Culture, which we often say is a love letter to black culture. And I'm just curious about the origin story of the founding of Color Creative and Rebel Media Group, Reform Media Group, sorry. Um, I was just wondering, like, what's the origin story? What inspired you to, to embark on this path? Um, so I love this question, you know, because uh, obviously I'm, I'm super passionate about the work we do. And, you know, the origin story is, is funny where um, it, just, it just happened. So I've been working with Issa since 2012 is I think when we met. And in 2013, 2014, she kind of came to me. We did a new media workshop back in the day where we like hosted a workshop and, and let a bunch of writers and digital creators come and kind of learn from us. And Issa met a young writer there um, by the name of Sarita Singleton, who, fun fact, is now the showrunner of Rap Shit, Issa's new show. But Sarita Singleton came to this workshop, they connected, and she shared a web series script with Issa that she read and just thought it was hilarious. And she was like, you know, Denise, the script was so funny, but I saw it as more as a web series. To me, it feels like it should be a TV pilot. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, what are you thinking about it? And she was like, is it crazy if we like, I don't know, try to like develop and finance this as an indie pilot? What if we did a couple more of those, right? What does that look like? And that started a conversation around, you know, I think building a pipeline for 
how do you take these amazing voices we were discovering who were trying to do web series and digital content, but actually provide a pipeline for them to cross over into television, right? And so that was the impetus of Color Creative because we kind of started putting together a plan to produce these three independent television pilots in the summer of 2014. We wanted to go and get up and coming diverse directors to helm each of them and put together a whole production plan. And, and we went and shot that. And, you know, it was a crazy uphill battle because we tried to go get funding. We couldn't get funding and East ended up self-financing and we were just like, we're just going to do it anyways. And to see that through and be able to premiere those pilots at Urban World and to be able to look at those initial group of writers and see where their careers have, have gone since then, um, it's something we were very proud of. But more importantly, it was the birth of Color Creative because also in, in, the, in the spirit of doing it, we were like, we should call this up. And Issa was like, I like the name Color Creative. And that's kind of what we branded this company, right? And so it started off with the mission and the intent to do pipelines, um, pipeline building like that, specifically for television writers. And then over the years, as we continue to do that type of work through the extension of supporting content on her YouTube channel or doing other events and, and uh, networking mixers, um, one thing that stood out to us that someone in the industry actually came to us and called us out on, because it wasn't our real idea, but they were like, you know, you guys are doing all this work. You're discovering talent, you're incubating them, you're putting them up on, on their first jobs or first paid jobs or giving them opportunities or helping them find reps. Um, why aren't you guys just managing them? You're basically doing the, the work as a manager. So it was a light bulb moment because we realized as we were passionate about the work, there was a business model that we didn't think about, right? And um, and it set us on the path, you know, and this is three or four years ago now, really actually four or five years ago, to um, think about how to evolve the company into management first, into taking a step further and really supporting these creators, um, not just from a content-based perspective, but from a career-based perspective and for a long term into their careers. And so that's the origin story. That's been the trajectory. And I will share with you that as, a, as someone who considers themselves an entrepreneur, what I found is that, you know, the beauty of being a business owner, the beauty of starting, um, doing a startup or what have you, right, is that you can start with one idea and over time, that idea can just grow and blossom and change. And then you end up with the result that you might not have thought of from the very beginning, but as long as the, the core has always stayed the same, which is to be passionate about uplifting and supporting other talent, uh, you know, we've been able to build something that is beyond, you know, our wildest dreams. And again, we're talking about seven years ago, right? In a, in a very different landscape in this town. Um, before us, we're so white. Before there was like this, this, this amount of opportunities and spotlights on diversity and what people were doing to help support black talent. We were just like, we just, we just did this little web series this is before Insecure. We were like, we just want to do this for others. Um, and to kind of be a part of that, that shift has been very exciting, but something I'm very proud of because I often think about we could have not seen those pilots through and, and we could have not started this company and not be able to be in the landscape today um, had we not seen that through. That's amazing. I'm so, what I have to say that I'm proud of you, of you and Issa. I mean, I can only imagine not just what it feels like to have this kind of success, but to have the impact that you've made. And I'm sure that so far it's caused you to really reflect on, on your life and where you want things to go. And as a follow-up question, what kind of impact do you want to have on the culture with this, this incredible work that you're doing and, and will continue to do? The first thing that comes to mind when you ask a question is obviously legacy, right? I think everyone thinks about that at some point in their career. What do I want my legacy to be? 
Um, it's funny because no pun intended, but Insecure talks a lot about that in the last season. Um, but it's true. You know, I'm in my mid thirties and you get to a point in where you're able to look back and see the work you've done, see how far you've come and then look forward and see all the things you continue to want to do. And for me personally, you know, making an impact is so important because, you know, I, I'm a film school baby. I went to undergrad film school, I went to grad school and got my master's in producing. And I often tell people when I started out and came out of grad school, I could only count on one hand how many other black female producers look like me who had the career that I had emulated. And I remember being so disappointed in that and was like, why is it only you know four black women who's ever done this in this capacity? And I want there to be more of us. And as I continue on my own journey and as I build these companies and make these con- make certain content, I've always wanted to make sure that I'm providing a pipeline and a pathway for more black female producers because I don't want to be the only one. And more importantly, you know, I don't want this industry to look like it did when I first started either. Right. And so I hope that my legacy and my impact will be opening doors, will be helping to provide those types of opportunities for for just more of us. Because if there's one thing I've learned in this industry, it's that it's not sometimes about resume or skill set, but it's really about the relationships, right, that you that you build and those relationships that help open doors. And so I want to be that person to build a relationship with others and hopefully, you know, crack a door opener or lock a door for them uh, whenever possible. So that's that's really what it is to not be the only one to be able to look back and say, OK, I helped all these other careers kind of get born. And then to collaborate with them on top of that is, is really what I hope to to do in the long end. Oh, I love that. And I also, I just caught my reflection. I was like, oh, wait a minute. This was not planned. I promise you. I promise it wasn't. Uh, for those of us who are just listening, uh, I am wearing my I'm rooting for everybody black sweatshirt. And, you know, that is a famous <laughs> Issa Rae quote. So, <laughs> uh, but, you know, Denise, I I love what you're doing. I love the dedication to making sure that this that you are shifting, not just, you know, culture, but the industry in general. Um, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about your work as a co-founder, but, you know, you're also an executive producer. You know, you're out here doing big things, big, big things. Uh, so for our audience, Denise has worked on everything from Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl and Burning Sands to Minimum Wage and Insecure. You know, and a lot of these shows are pretty unapologetically black. <laughs> so my question to you would be, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you've had to overcome some challenges to get these unapologetically black shows going. Can you walk us through some of like the wins and or battles you've experienced in creating these, I wouldn't even call them shows, but like pieces of art that have impacted and shifted culture. And essentially I'm wondering, like, did you expect to have this impact on culture the way that you have? No, I, I, I didn't expect to have an impact on the culture and, you know, the, all the projects I've been associated with or that I've, I've stepped into um, it honestly wasn't until, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a few years into my career that I can look back and see the parallels, see the connecting dots, see how they're all related. Because for me, I've always followed my gut into the people I work with or the stories I want to help uh, be a part of telling and followed my gut in, in that what speaks to me, what am I attracted to, what moves me that I'm like, there's nothing 
that can get in the way of me being a part of this. Um, and then it's only after the fact that I realized like, oh shit, look at this. All these projects were super special and they have all had their own moment and, and they've all added up to be certain things or saying certain, something about the culture, but it was never intentional. And I think that's just because, again, I always followed my heart and just what I want to be uh, a part of. But on the flip side of that, you know, there has been some some amazing wins and things that um, I'm super proud to have done or to, you know, have have made a, a significant impact in my own life or my own career. And when it comes to the losses, you know, the interesting thing about what I do and what this business is, is that there's always going to be losses. It's never been a straightforward path to, you know, this was easy. Like everything just like unfolded the way it was supposed to. It's like, no, actually there has been uh, um, quite a few times in my career that you know, I've had to make a choice, right? And those choices stress me out and <laughs> so much so where I'm just like, oh, this is it. This is where my career ends. But the choices that I've, I've been forced to to make always set me up to say, you know what, win or lose, this is what I want to do. This is what's best for me. This is what makes me happy. And I'm going to go ahead and, and decide based off of that, not because of the money, not because of who's involved, not because of what it looks like, right? Not because of what it could do for me, but genuinely what is going to make me happy um, to, to say yes to this, to, to spend my time and energy for however much time it takes to see this through. And I think by leading with that, even when there's been losses, I've still been okay with, with that decision. I've still been okay with that experience because I've learned from them and I've learned incredible things. And I've always felt like, okay, even though that that's an L, uh, it's an L that I uh, take accountability for because, you know, I decided to go forward in that anyways, right? No one else decided that for me. And so just has always helped me kind of navigate, I think, what, you know, is an insanely risky business, Some something that you champion a project and you think it's going to be this big thing. And sometimes it's not, or, you know, you go and you invest some time in this certain creator talent and, you know, they never pop off. And so there's always going to be ebbs and flows, but you know, you have to be able to take that risk anyways and, and know why you're doing it. And I think that has been my guiding force. And, you know, all of a sudden I look up and like you said, it's impacted the culture. And, oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> I was just doing the work. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Um, but going back to Insecure, Denise, obviously, you know, the, the impact that Black Twitter had on the show. I mean, it was a trending topic every night it, 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 it came on. And the, the audience became like these really active participants of the show. Um, I'm curious to know what impact at all did those reactions and conversations have on how you developed the show or impacted behind the scenes of the show in any way? Mm. Um, you know, honestly, we, we, we really tried to make sure it didn't. Um, you know, we enjoy seeing the audience reactions. We enjoy reading the feedback and obviously interacting with, with everyone um, every Sunday night. But, you know, at the core, I think what's always made Insecure special is that it was always the story that Issa wanted to tell and the way the writers would build that out. And they always had a very clear, um, sometimes not so clear, but end goal in mind for every season that was truly roped around these characters, you know, real life situations, but also the story that they wanted to tell without influencing the online chatter. And I think for that reason, it, it continued to grow without feeling stifled, without feeling like we were pandering to an audience because it wasn't about 
you know, we were making a show for us that we just hope people would enjoy versus oh, we're going to make the show for this audience because we want them to tweet. It was like, no, the hope is that if we focus on making the best show that we want to make, that they will interact with it regardless because they will respond and they, they will, you know, go along with us. And I think that has always been the separation because I've seen, you know, if, if a show or content, I think, again, panders to what they think people want. Um, oftentimes you're not going to hit the mark because again, the biggest thing to remember is that insecure isn't for all black people. We didn't make it for a specific group. We just said, we're going to make a show that, you know, we would watch with our friends and that's where it starts. Right. Because, you know, I think if you, um, yeah, you start making shows for the Twitter feeds, like you're not going to make everybody happy, but also we made the show for us and we still don't make everybody happy. So it doesn't matter (laughs) what, uh, it doesn't matter what you do. So, uh, mm-hmm. but it's a great question. And people are always curious about that. And it's like, oh no, we see them, but they, we don't often allow social media to influence the storylines and, and the stories that we intended to tell with every season. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you touched on that because I know like there, there has to be some kind of responsibility. I mean, we, we know that representation matters, right? Like, and, and especially for non-black viewers and non-black audiences seeing certain aspects of black culture that they may not be aware of they may completely you know just (laughs) it just flies right over their heads i want to know like what were some of the conversations and choices around choosing what and specifically like how to share certain parts of authentic black culture and you know that's that's the good the bad and the ugly right like yeah, like how, like what were those kinds, of, those kinds of conversations about how you guys were going to do so, as it relates to you know having non-black viewers, or was that even a conversation? Because if y'all are like, you know, <laughs> we don't care about their gaze. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, it wasn't a part of the conversation. And there's there's two things that stick out. One, you know, I think what what lands is that we were always authentic from jump, right from the pilot, and authentic in that we never would question is this too black? Is this not black enough? Do we need to add more stuff, right? In any aspect of the show, it was always like unfiltered. We're just going to go 100% into this and be authentic as possible without questioning it, right? And I think that allowed us to kind of have that refreshing um, recognizability for for black culture because it was just planted without feeling forced. Because for us, it was just like, we're just going to put it in there because that's what we want, right? Now, the other side to that is I think what the show did well is that it also never try to explain the culture to non-Black people either, right? We never wanted to be over, um, um, over-serve or over-deliver, like how to, how to over-explain certain nuances about our culture to a white audience. It was never about that. Our show never does that. Our show, again, is just unapologetically Black. You get the joke or you don't get the joke. We ain't got time to sit here and explain it to you. We're moving on, right? You know this neighborhood or, or this street that we're showing or this restaurant that we're showing, you know it or you don't. We ain't got time to explain why it's a Black-owned business. You know it is, right? Because you've been there in real life. And so, again, it was just unapologetically authentic from every facet of the show. Um, and I think by doing that, it actually allowed it to be a more relatable viewing experience for anybody, right? Because it really just allowed the ethos uh, and the empathy of these characters and what they're going through uh, to be front and center because everything else in the background just kind of lined up because nothing else was trying to force itself into every scene or force itself in every episode. Um, it just was. And I think that is the beauty of it. Um, 
So I hope that answers both of your questions. No, it does. And I appreciate y'all letting white people know how ridiculous they were calling it. I would. It is Inglewood. Like, so. <laughs> Um, but getting back to the beauty of the show, I have to be honest, like I've watched the finale at this point at least five times and I cried every single time. And if I, I, I did not expect to get as emotional as I did watching the finale. And I think part of it was feeling so connected to the real life experiences of the characters, like navigating um, heartache and heartbreak and death. Um, and having enduring, uh, enduring loving relationship with your, with your friend, overcoming anxiety and self-doubt to some degree, because we all kind of walk with that for the rest of our lives in a, in a way. But it was just so beautiful to see the way we saw that arc uh, for many of the characters. And for me, especially as a black millennial, and I, I know many of the, of the audience of Insecure can relate, there was something very uh, identifiable about each character. And even as a black queer person, while there was only one gay character on the show and he wasn't quite a protagonist on the show, I still felt like I saw myself in Issa and I saw myself in Molly. It does bring the question about representation. Like Insecure has been praised for um, just what it has done for black representation in television. And it's kind of bringing up this new renaissance for black, uh, for black content creators and black uh, content. But I do wonder, now that we're at this place praising the representation of Insecure and we're thinking about other shows in the industry, how do we ensure that this moment of representation also makes room for those in the intersecting identities of being both black and black and queer or black and trans or black and non-binary? How do we, how do we get the industry to make more space for, for, for us a part of the community? Yeah, um, wonderful question. I think one thing I've seen just in the trajectory of our show, um, obviously is more, more black led content, right? More just representation across the board and saying, Oh, okay, we let's try this sci-fi period, whatever show called Love Crap Country. Um, because we know that there's a black audience on HBO to watch it now. Right. And, and a lot of that has a trickle down effect. And, and what I truly hope is that if nothing else, these lineup of shows over the last few years, um, really show that an audience is there and they want to see themselves. They want to relate to these characters. And the truth is going to come from, you know, the executives and the, and the business side being okay to green light them, right? I think there's a lot of shows in development. People forget about the process and that people will go and sell a show, they'll pitch a show, they'll sell a script, and then it'll develop for years, right? And the trick is to actually get the green light for it to become a reality. And I, for one, you know, as a, as a young queer Black woman in this town, uh, I know of a lot of queer Black stories that are in development. Now, whether or not they'll actually get the green light is always like, you know, the catch-22. And you're just like, when's going to be, when, whose show is going to be the first one to do what Insecure did for this, this field, right? And I just hope that, again, I think it's going to come down to that one show that will be greenlit, that will be successful, and that'll continue to open the doors for people to say, oh, we can do more Black queer trans stories, and that's okay, and look at the audience, right? Because this industry is so risk adverse in that they only want to take risk when they feel like they have a good bet. And, you know, it took Insecure. People don't think about in, in 2016 when Insecure premiered, we premiered the same year as Atlanta. 
and Queen Sugar was was either right before or right after us as well. And at the time, those were the three mainstay Black-led television shows um, in terms of Black creators, Black actors, and um, things that were outside of BET, right? So in that wheelhouse, I look at what spawned since then, and there's so many other Black shows, so much more that I can even count them all to you, and it's incredible. Now, when it comes to queer stories, right? You had uh, Transparent, not our story, um, and um, I'm forgetting one, Pose, thank you. And in a lot of ways, what I hope is that a springboard of Pose comes from a, a story that's centered around a Black queer character. And you also have 20s, right? Uh, let's not discredit 20s either. So you're starting to see shows that exist that weren't there before. And it's just a matter of time where you're like, okay, are these the springboards for, you know, the next 10 years of another 20 shows or ideas that are going to come to life? So answer your question, I think it's coming. Um, it is a renaissance at the moment in terms of what I'm seeing that is selling and things that are in development. But the harder battle is pushing for the green light and seeing that some of these shows are actually being made and put on screen. And that's going to be, to me, the defining factor over the next few years, especially because there's such an arms race for content with all these streaming platforms. So I do think it's it's a possibility in a way that really wasn't even there a decade ago. I'm holding out hope for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so this is our last question for you, though. I, I'm pretty sure I speak for myself and for Jared. Like, we wish we could keep you here forever, girl. I got questions. But, <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, Insecure is one project of many. And clearly, it's not the end of the amazing work that you're doing. So let our audience know, like, what's next for you? What are you working on now? Um, and what kind of projects are you hoping that you'll be able to be a part of in the future? Um, great question. Well, um, most recently, obviously, I spent my year rapping Insecure, and then I went to Miami for six months with Issa um, and produced Rap Shit with her, which I'm really excited about, um, and that'll be on HBO Max, hopefully later this year. And, you know, I, um, I spent a good bulk of my career with Issa, you know, almost a decade, and obviously, we have a wonderful company and partnership together. But, you know, last year, I made the incredible leap of faith to launch my own company, which is Reform Media Group. And that has been, you know, very exciting for me because I'm kind of moving forward in my own path as a producer and building that brand of like, okay, what are the stories I personally now want to tell? Um, how do I bring them to life? And that's including, you know, television, film. And I think the newest medium that I'm excited to play in is docs and docu-series. And I'm a big doc buff. I think that's a, a wide open space in terms of certain stories of ours and our culture that's not being told because that industry is so predominantly white. Um, and a lot of those companies are. And so, you know, I'm excited to go and and activate there and, and figure out what are the other, you know, stories that I can help bring to life. I think the one thing I was most proud of is I did produce the Insecure documentary that accompanied the finale. And, you know, that was like my first step in the, in the doc space. And I think getting a taste of that just made me more excited to say, oh yeah, like I want to be able to bring things to our screens that, you know, we identify with and that we can relate to and that starts conversations. And so um, yeah, across the board, I'm just excited for whatever comes next and whatever those projects look like. But, you know, I am kind of officially kicking off a new chapter in a lot of ways uh, from from a producing career standpoint. So uh, I, I couldn't be more proud of that and, and you know, continue to help build Color Creative as well. Listen, I love it. You got to get the air horn. <laughs> Uh, my pleasure. Thank you all so, so much. Seriously, this has been a joy. I can't wait to see it come out and I'm happy to support. So thank you for having me. 
Obviously, Denise, uh, your future is bright. Thank you so much for joining us on Dear Culture and for the work that you're doing uh, for the culture and telling important stories. To learn more about Denise and the amazing inclusive content she's creating, you can tap into the Color Creative website at colorcreative.co, C-O without the M. And for more news and commentary on the culture, visit The Griot's website at www.thegriot.com and follow our podcast on Instagram at DearCulturePod. We want to remind our listeners to support your local black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is American Legacy Network Productions. American Legacy Network Productions, or ALN Productions, is a black-owned multimedia company developing films, documentaries, television, and short-form content. Founded by Rodney Reynolds Sr., the American Legacy brand has developed and marketed products that celebrate and preserve African-American history and culture. From the magazine American Legacy to its Black History Curriculum Guide, board game, and series of special events. To learn more about American Legacy Network, visit their website at ALN Productions. That's A-L-N-P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-O-N-S. The Griot has published a list of 50 plus black businesses to support during the coronavirus pandemic. If you'd like your business to be featured, email us at info at That's G-R-I-O dot Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five star review. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. And please email all questions, suggestions and compliments. We love those to podcast at thegriot.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Griot and co-produced by Taji Sr., Sydney Henriquez-Payne, and Abdul Caduce. 